Hello, I'm Mark Weaver, president of Mark Weaver & Associates Interior Design. I'd like to invite you to our Instagram Live series called Designers at Home. It's every other Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. It's a casual, informative, and exclusive discussion with renowned architects, interior designers, and artists from around the world. This half-hour podcast program is a recording of the live talk addressing all things design and architecture related, along with personal anecdotes and inspiration. Guests have included Emmy-nominated set decorator Peter Gursky, one of America's leading sculptors, Sabin Howard, renowned architect and artist Leo Marmel, and art advisor extraordinaire Barbara Guggenheim. We look forward to you joining us. Thank you. So welcome this morning. We have a wonderful guest for you this morning. And um, we have Stephen Block. His, he's a landscape uh, designer. And Stephen's business is located here in Los Angeles. His company, Inner Gardens, was founded in 1990 and um, has a remarkable collection of antique and decorative items that transform ordinary gardens into something special and extraordinary. Uh, his work has been published in some of the most important worldwide publications such as Architectural Digest, El Decor, Lux, Veranda, to name a few. And his um, list of clients is equally as impressive. He's worked for people like the Waldorf Astoria, Spago, Cher, the Kardashian family, Cindy Crawford, and Ellen Pompeo, and the list goes on. He works nationwide, um, but primarily his work is is West Coast oriented. And hopefully we have Stephen, here he is. Stephen's going to join us now. Good morning. Hey. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Mark. How How are are you? you? I'm great, thanks. Yeah, and you're sitting out in your garden there. It looks beautiful. I am at my favorite place in my garden. We have this beautiful uh, alley of uh, date palms uh, that was planted 15 or 20 years ago. And uh, it's cool. It's like an oasis in the desert. So it's a beautiful spot. Wonderful. So I was just giving them, giving everyone a little background on you and, and the history of Inner Gardens. So how, how did you end up on the West Coast, Stephen? Where are you from originally? Uh, born and raised in Florida, uh, in uh, sort of the Palm Beach area, a little town called Vero Beach. And I grew up very much in the country. Um, I used to dig holes for my parents uh, and planting trees, but uh, I didn't care much about that. Never had any interest in uh, in gardens particularly, but uh, I've been in Los Angeles for 35 years. It was a great move to come here um, and uh, get into Hollywood, which I never did. Uh, just had to follow my passion, which has always been plants and flowers since my college days. And here I am. Well, yeah, that's great. So tell us a little bit about what makes Inner Gardens so special. And I know that um, uh, later on in the conversation, we've got a treat because you're going to walk us through and show us some of the exceptional things you have and walk us through the garden. But um, tell me what makes your company so exceptional. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for the compliment. Um, I think it is exceptional because it's based on p- passion, heart, as I say, heart and hand. Um, we always like to see the hand in our work. Uh, we have clients who will tell us, you know, it's not quite right. It doesn't look like you've been there. 
Like you personally have been there and I can come and I can mix it up and I can play with it. Uh, so it's about heart and hand and passion and everything that I do, everything we try to do at inner gardens, um, has to do with caring, um, and concern about the products, whether they be the plant material or whether they be the antiques that I've collected from all over the world. It's been a passion mm -hmm. project for 35 years collecting all mm -hmm. over the world. Um, and I have a background in horticulture, so I really understand and know how plants and trees work. Uh, I think that's a big thing, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, you really have to know what you're talking about. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It's a dynamic business. Things you plant, they live, they yeah, grow. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, right. It's a very complex business. You know, everybody can uh, buy some plants and plant them in a garden. Um, but what you do is a very, very complex process. You're dealing with not just um, the proper planting material, types of plants, soil conditions, um, water usage restrictions, hardscape, et cetera, et cetera. So um, let's talk about what a, a landscape designer does and why somebody should hire a landscape designer. Well, landscape designer is really like a landscape architect, except we're not, we don't have the training and the licensing. Um, and so I think oftentimes the landscape designer uh, comes at this business with, again, with, with a passion. You know, it's something that they've stumbled on, something they've found that moves them as, a, as an artist. And like a landscape architect, you know, we have to design. We design on paper. We just do drawings. We um, work with contractors uh, to come up with all the concepts and the ideas about how to actually install a garden and how to maintain a garden. And it's a very important thing to understand the garden from the end product backwards because you want to make sure you're designing a garden that the client is comfortable with um, taking care of. Um, you know, you can, you can build a complex garden that requires a tremendous amount of maintenance and labor and time and input from the client, or you can design a garden that is looser, easier, more native, doesn't really take care. So we sort of oftentimes design from the finished product backwards, but um, it's just that process of, of design. It's about very similar to doing uh, interior design on a house. Um, so, and I, I know, um, I know in my case, when, um, I'm working on interiors. To me, the garden um, is just an important aspect to the project. I'm doing a new house for myself. And honestly, I think I'm more excited about the, the gardens than I am the interiors <laughs> um, because I love spending time and every room looks out into the garden. You right. know, it's, it's the greatest painting you could have. So one of the things you just mentioned, you said something about native plantings. And I, it's, that's always a, a strong point for me because I think if somebody is going to move to the desert or somebody is doing a project in Hawaii, that you really want to use plants that are indigenous, plants native to your um, area. So how do you feel about that? And what happens when you get a client that maybe wants to do a tropical garden, you know, where it, somewhere where it doesn't really belong? Well, I think it's a really important point. Um, I'm very sensitive to the site and to the surrounding area, neighborhood, architecture. Um, 
I think then you have to understand the topography, you have to understand the soil, and you want to be appropriate to all of that. And so I think if you have a client uh, in the desert who says, I want to build an English garden, I think it's problematic. And I discuss with them the difficulty um, and try to talk them out of it. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. people are very insistent, you know, they, they love English gardens and they don't really care about the site and how it works with the house. And if I can't convince them, then oftentimes I'll pass and I won't take the project because mm -hmm. I have to be able to see and feel and understand how this, how it works. And if I can't do that, then I don't want to take it on. It becomes way too difficult. And I think the end product will not be successful or as successful as it could be if it was uh, if it was correctly conceived. Yes. So I know uh, California has a lot of restrictions. Um, and one of them is um, my home's in Santa Barbara. And I know that I have a limit on water usage. I have s um, so much I'm allowed to use. And in designing the garden, we had to do calculations as to how much water usage and submit them in order to get um, building permits. Correct. Right. So, um, you know, that's another very technical aspect of what you do that I think a lot of people really aren't aware of, how much work goes into the planning stage. Correct. 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 Yeah. I know every municipality has different rules now. Right. And not only do you not only do you have to understand what the um, requirements are in that city for what we call hydrozone and irrigation plans. These uh -huh. are required now. So uh, the city wants to know. How much water are you putting on the property? And then secondarily, where is that water going and how does it exit the property? So that's another issue. Uh, some municipalities want the water to stay on the property and percolate through into the, into the ground aquifer on the property. Others want to just filter the, prop, filter the water and then let it exit onto the street, which is insane to me with the water shortages that we have. I think, I think water should be, remain on the property and feed the aquifer that's you know, right underneath it. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a big deal. And it's a new requirement that has become more and more sophisticated and generally requires now, the cities require what they call a wet stamp, which requires a landscape architect to sign it. So it's become right. a specialty and it's an added cost to the project that some people don't realize um, they're getting into. But right. I think ultimately it's a good thing because we don't have any water here. And it really, it really sort of mitigates the earlier conversation about people putting an English garden in the desert because well, it, it's just progressive thinking. I think we have to be aware today. We have to protect our environment and protect our natural resources. And I think right. today most people are on board with that. You know, we've been through droughts. We've been so. through conditions. I think um, so. But a lot of people still like grass. Yes. They you know, do. and lots yes. and lots of grass. Yeah. And they think they're in uh, they're living in the Hamptons or something where there's plenty of water. And there right. isn't water here. And of course, grass is the, the biggest uh, water hog. And so they, they really limited that to, I think, probably down to 20% of all the landscaping on the property can be what they call high water usage. And right. so that's a, that's a challenge because people still want their lawns. And I understand it. It's beautiful. But it really, you know, with the cost of water today increasing dramatically, it's, it's a big consideration. Right. So... Um... One of the things that I love um, that's so special about having a great garden and one element I think that's important and I know it's a passion of yours is lighting. 
and right. um, lighting a garden, um, because I remember talking to you and you said, well, gardens have two lives. They have a daytime life and an, a nighttime life. And lighting is what creates the romance and intrigue and, as you said, shadows and mystery. So can we right. talk a little bit about lighting and why that's such an important element? Yeah, I think lighting is critical. Um, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing a well-lit garden at night. Um, it is mysterious. It, is, it can be romantic. Um, and, and the lighting that we, that we design and do is all about that. And that requires a lot more work. Uh, it's not just putting an up light and a down light. It's layering of, of lights and understanding um, the quality of light, you know, the color mm. of the light. You know, um, a lot of lighting today um, is, um, is really bright white. The LEDs that right. everyone's using. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we're going to have no choice but to use LEDs uh, as the future rolls out. Uh, but the LED lights tend to be really white and you lose that warmth that you get um, with traditional lighting. So we do layered, layered lighting. Um, we can create scenes for people. So if you're having a party, you can brighten it up and you can lower it if you're just, ha you know, just home by yourself, particularly with the cost of electricity. But you actually, I really believe you have two gardens and the garden in the daytime is one and the garden at night can look, it makes the garden look completely different. And so I really, really push lighting um, as, as something that uh, is important to our design. Great. And then with regard to um, planting materials, um, you can buy, um, you know, young, young plants, which are obviously less expensive than, than fully grown plants. How do you feel about um, a young garden versus a mature garden? Well, I think a couple things. Number one, our clients generally, as they say, they don't want to see dirt. So, so we tend to plant very large and very full, mm -hmm. which is a much more expensive way to build a garden. But when we leave a garden in inner gardens, it's, it's done. It looks like it's been there for two years. Um, growing a smaller garden or starting out with a smaller garden um, really requires a great maintenance company. Because in order to grow these plants uh, in the way that, that the professionals grow them, it really takes a, a lot of skill. And I find that there's only a few companies that really know how to do that. Uh, you also then have to have someone like myself on the property over the next number of years, uh, guiding the, land, the maintenance company as to how to uh, prune and trim. And sometimes I walk on properties and people say, oh my God, my gardener's terrible and it really looks awful. And I say, well, who's been guiding the gardener? Who's been telling the right. gardener how high to cut the hedges, how the face should be of the hedges? Are the hedges straight? Um, are, they, you know, are they handling the water correctly? So it really takes a pro to manage a garden. Gardens just don't happen. No, it's, a living, a, big, it's a living thing. So. Right. And to do it with, a, with, a, with design and flair and taste and maintain that really requires an ongoing effort of the garden designer. And, and I think that I'm fortunate that a lot of my clients really enjoy me staying with, I mean, I stay with these gardens forever. I mean, once I've installed right. a garden, I, it's just part of me. And so I really enjoy watching it grow and seeing it come to fruition. And by the way, sometimes things don't work. And yeah, I'm sure your gardens are, are your children. You know, you created them and you watched them grow. Correct. I was just at a project um, a week ago and I hadn't been there in a year and a half. 
and I, I didn't recognize the gardens. The trees have grown so much. It's just spectacular. It's exciting. It's just, yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's yeah. wonderful. Anybody that loves gardening, um, it's magic to see right. things and, and, grow. And, and they are like my kids. You have to water them just like you water your children. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you also, um, well, you work directly with a lot of clients, but you also work with a lot of designers, interior designers. In you yes. know, you're on any project. There's a team of people involved, um, and as you know, and I know, designers are very opinionated. Do you find it difficult <laughs> working with? <laughs> yes. Do you find it difficult working with designers? Do you prefer working directly with the clients? You know, I, I obviously work with, with both. Um, I, I think, honestly, um, if I had my druthers, I would probably like to have an, a designer included in the project. Uh -huh. I think that there's a big learning curve uh, with building a garden, and designers generally understand that and have done it many, many times. Mm -hmm. So it shortcuts the process, whereas mm -hmm. when you're working directly with a client, oftentimes there's a, there's a big arc of learning that's required um, and, and as you said, as you started, it, it's a team. And when I can get the right team together, which is designer, client, contractor, uh, all those people are, if I've worked with them, I know designers and I try to take the same team with me wherever I go. Right. Because then it's shorthand. And if you have new people, you have to, there's a lot of education and a lot of time spent that doesn't have to be. Um, but I love collaborating with designers because then it's then we're all together on this because today the the guard the, you know the house doesn't just stop at the at the wall at the sliding glass doors now right. it opens right. up onto the garden and designers like to do they like to be involved with that they like to do the furniture and so we have a better experience of indoor outdoor and everything is leans to outdoors today and fabric yes. and furniture um, is as sophisticated on the outdoors as it is on the indoors today. It's as expensive as the uh, indoor furniture. So now, now it's, it becomes seamless when you have this proper team and have a designer. The indoor and outdoor just flow back and forth. And it's really well, I think um, that was, that was going to be the one thing I really wanted to discuss with you because um, today outdoor living is essential. And especially in California, in Southern California, we um, we're so fortunate to live here with with just an amazing climate. So um, I spend as much time outdoors and sometimes more on a weekend than I do indoors. And um, so creating these living spaces outdoors has become, um, as you say, just as important as an interior living space. People entertain outside. Right. They dine outside. So how do you go about um, successfully designing an outdoor living space? Well, I think you start with, with the goals of the client. You know, what do they, what, what do they want to do? How do they see it? What are their needs? Do they have children? Don't they have children? Uh, what different kind of spaces are, are required? Um, and so the idea is to create rooms, areas that have uh -huh. some sense of wall. You know, a garden is like a, is like a, a home. It has walls, it has a floor, it has oftentimes roof. And so we start like, you know, sort of laying out the areas that will support the, um, the, the projects that they have. I mean, you know, so, you know, I was thinking about this earlier and thinking about what really, what really 
sent outdoor gardens, you know, into the forefront was putting the television outside. Right. You know, I, I was, in, in, you know, year, years ago when this well, started, you put I was a like, TV somewhere and the people just automatically grab it. Right. I said, oh, wait, I don't understand. <laughs> what, why, why are we putting a television outside? And can, and can you do that? You yeah. know, how do you, how do you do that? Right. Um, and this is, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, and I'm like, you know, they've developed all these TVs and now you can, you know, you recess it into the wall and you put cabinets around it. Um, but that really, I think, pushed, started pushing people outside. And now we have meditation areas. Uh, we have, you know, we have a little pathway to a little room with a trickling fountain and people do yoga. Um, you know, it just runs the gamut. And then the kids have their play set, you know, and we, do, we build a lot of bocce courts now. Interestingly, right. people go, well, can we do a bocce court? I go, do you play bocce? No, but it's an activity. That keeps it is, and outside. people also want music in their garden. Absolutely, you know? and, um, ping pong, and ping pong tables. Right. Ping pong's huge. Oh, is <laughs> it? It a ping pong table. Yeah, particularly if you have children. You know, it's again, sure. these activities that, that uh, you can do together outside. Well, especially that, right now where people are home, they need to have activities to keep, you know, right. the kids home. And Exactly, sure. exactly. Yeah, to, today, yeah. right now, it's, you know, our business is um, it's just exploded. People are home. And they want to fix their garden. They want to be outside. I think people feel safe outside now. Right. I know I do. I'd much rather right. be outside than inside. So uh, it's uh, it's been a big boom to uh, the the landscape. And and people are building. I mean, people are putting in vegetables. They're taking their pots. They're building vegetable gardens. I mean, it's a, it's an explosion. It's crazy. Uh, well, which is great, I think though. I think will never change. I think this is to, here to stay. I hope COVID's not here to stay, but I think the vegetable gardens are going to stay. I mean, I built oh, some gardens good. with my daughters, and we went out and we're picking tomatoes. It's it's a great activity. These are all the positive things that come out of um, unfortunate situations. Right, so, right, right. So, Stephen, um, so I'd love for you to take us on a little tour um, through Inner Gardens. And, okay. you know, one of the things that I love when um, I love to be in a room and and look out into the garden and see spectacular objects, focal points. And axis, on axis. Yes, <laughs> and, and this is something that I know is near and dear to your heart too, and, and you're a great source for items like this. So um, can you treat us and take us on I, a little tour? I can, I, 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 there's, there's some button here. I'm not sure All right, the well, right we'll button, try but I'm gonna press works, it. Okay. If, it, if you go away. I'll see you. But uh, okay. <laughs> I think this is, let's see. Ah, it worked. Okay. You there? Can you see? Yeah, we can see. Great. Okay. Um, I'm just going to take you through. So this is our, we're just walking out of our Palm Alley, and right in front of you is a beautiful uh, French faux bois curved bench. Curved uh -huh. benches are much more rare to find, and this is a really huge one. Um, I love scale. You know, fortunately, the gardens that we build are we, we build, you know, in, in big gardens, you know, one acre, two acres, three acres. So the scale has to be quite large in order to uh, make any sense. So these are large jars from Spain, Italy and France generally. Uh -huh. I shop a lot in the south of France and there's a convergence of of Italy, Spain and France all at the, you know, down at the bottom near Provence and Nice and those areas. And so everybody sort of gathers there and you can find a lot from a lot of different countries, including Greece, uh, you know, French tables, mid-century concrete chairs, some lighting. We do a lot of um, 
exterior lighting that can be wet. It's very hard to find lights that can be what we call wet, which means out literally in the rain. There's, a, there's another category called damp, which is, would be if it were outside under cover. Um, Mid-century modern Willy Gould, 1960, 1970, out of France and Sweden. Um, well, I think what's, what makes Inner Gardens interesting, um, these are wonderful. These are lime, carved limestone balls. They're oh, new. I love they're, those. They're, they're carved out of a large block of, of limestone. Uh -huh. And they're beautiful in the garden as a counterpoint to all the hard edges that we have. They were used historically to mark the, the property lines in old country estates. So you, that's where these were collected. Uh, I never original realized ones. that. Yeah. yeah, they're beautiful. Uh -huh. And this is, again, we didn't get to really see the alley, but I think it's worth a second um, to see this. Wow. So this is our alley where we have a big dining table and we have events here and it's just gorgeous. But someone told me years ago, which I was very flattered by and I didn't really realize it, was that he said Inner Gardens is one of the only places that he can go and buy five different things from a pot to a chandelier to an accessory to a bench, um, which you can't do in most places. We do a lot of mid-century um, planters for sure. These are both um, architectural pottery, really beautiful, called staccato. One is unglazed and one is glazed. Um, mm -hmm. We... We, we bring in a lot of large, old limestone uh, grinding wheels, tables that we make out of them. So, you know, there's mm -hmm. a beautiful little vignette could be in your garden right there. That's really beautiful. And then this is our Perfect. gallery. Stunning. This is our gallery where uh -huh. we have all sorts of just unusual, weird, off, you know, one-off things, beautiful Indian planters. These are our lighting fixtures that we make in Asia that we light and we put them into olive trees and oak trees and they're really beautiful. So there's a, there's a plethora of items. These are really interesting. These were 1945. They were, they were used in, at the ports. And I always have to read this. I can never remember. They were called braseros and they were used in Brittany at the port to attract boats. They built fires in them. They put logs hmm. in them. They're massive, and they put them at the port to, to mark the entrance to the port. So a lot of what I collect is utilitarian. It wasn't designed necessarily to be a planter. You know, we have lots of storage jars. These are, these are Italian storage jars. These would have had olive oil in them or honey, right. oftentimes mm -hmm. honey, and they would have been put on boats and travel. they would travel the world. These are a pair of beautiful Italian planters. Very difficult to get product out of Italy. Italy really yes. cares about its uh, antiquities. Um, so it's really difficult. France says they care about it, but you can get it out. <laughs> um, so your travels have taken you all over the world finding you know, all these great things. For people who have never been to Inner Gardens, you really should take um, a, the time and go down and visit because it's inspiring. All these things are very inspiring. I love looking at this stuff. This, this, um, this piece, just quickly, this piece was, mm -hmm in Belgium in a castle. And there were 18 of them set up on pedestals around the garden. And somebody came in, it was a sort of an abandoned castle and someone took baseball bats and, and broke them all, except this one. Oh this, is, this is six and a half feet tall out of zinc. So, you know, unique 
I think the thing about Inner Gardens is you, you can always find something unique here. And uh, it's really a, it's a, it's a, it's a great place to come and just sit at our table and um, have a cup of coffee or a tea. And get inspired. We have, a so, lot of, we have a lot of designers who come here, particularly architects who come here with their sketch pads and they're looking to design a leg of something and they'll be sketching and they'll find a little leg that they like. And, and I love that. I love that. So, um, you know, I, I love my, I love gardens and, you know, I was trying to think about what are some of the favorite gardens that I've seen as I've traveled the world and just, you know, a couple came to my mind immediately. One was the, um, I was in Spain one year working and I went to Seville and visited the Alcazar and the gardens at the Alcazar, which are several hundred years old, are absolutely spectacular. Yes. And um, I remember spending an entire day photographing these gardens just as inspiration. And another one that came to mind was on a trip to Israel many years ago, I remember standing in the Garden of Gethsemane thinking, oh my God, this, is, this goes back to the time of Christ. And I'm standing in the Garden of Gethsemane looking at the olive trees that were there at the time of Christ. 2,000 years they're old. Still, they're still thriving. And it was very moving. And so gardens have longevity. They evolve, they mature, um, and they're part of history. So if you had to select maybe three or four gardens that you think are remarkable in your travels, could you name a few? Well, I think that, you know, I was thinking about that and I've been to, I've been to famous gardens. And I think that that what really has inspired me most is the gardens of Provence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're, they're not famous gardens. They're, but they're, you know, age really helps a garden, right? Yes. So, you know, 2000 years is that's, that's an old garden, right. but you know, <laughs> 200 years is a right. really old garden, particularly right. for, you know, Californians and Americans, which is we don't have that kind of history. Um, so I'm constantly fascinated by the gardens, the, the, the small gardens that, that individuals have put together mm -hmm. that, you know, are 150 years old. And I mean, they're just extraordinary. I love the gardens of Paris. I love the gardens, you know, the small gardens that when you peek through the gates, when you're gates, walking yes. in Paris and you look at some of these little gardens that are just spectacular. And right. then you can go, then I go to Rodin's garden at the Rodin Museum. Oh, you know, it's a fantastic incredible. garden. And uh -huh. then, and then I come back here and I'm a huge fan of Lotus Land. I like gardens that are close by because I like to visit them often. So I go to the Huntington. Lotus Land is just knocks me out. And it's been a inspiration. You know, one of the tenets of gardening is that if, uh, I think Nancy Powers also said this w with me one day that, you know, if 10 plants is good, 100 is better. Right, and you can see that at Ganawalska's garden. Well, Ganawalska certainly um, subscribed to that theory, didn't she? Right. I mean, you can so see. For those who don't know, Lotus Land is in Montecito in Santa Barbara. It was a private estate that is now. Um, you can take a, a tour of the gardens there. It's a it's a must see. You have to make a reservation uh -huh. to go, right. but it's a must see. And then you can understand a, a, what what is is difficult. Oftentimes, is editing. You know, in a garden or in a, in a home, you know, there's a hundred tables you could use, but you only get one, 
right? right? So how do you how do you edit? And one of the things that I do is I use a lot I use a lot of repetition, and so I will find an area and I'll put fifty of one plant in. And sometimes people go, well, how about can we add this and can we add that? Can we add that? And I go, you know, not really. You really can't because the, the gardens that inspire me are where I have, you know, 500 pieces. Now, these are big gardens, but because when it blooms, it just knocks you out. And I think if you if you start to observe gardens, whether it's in Architectural Digest or Garden Design or wherever it is, well, I think what you'll find is the things that attract your eye are where there's great repetition. And Andy Warhol proved that, right? When he did, right. you know, he yes. did uh, Elvis Presley 56 times where he did the Campbell soup cans. That, repeti that repetition right. um, really is where you create intensity and drama, which is sort of what we want, right? Yes. Well, Stephen, I love your passion about gardens and you're incredibly talented. And um, I wish we could go on, but I think um, we're gonna have to sign off. That's it? So, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Do you have something else profound you wanna say? <laughs> no. no, I have nothing <laughs> profound. It's just, I love talking about gardens. Yeah. Um, so how, what is the best way for somebody to locate you, Stephen? How do they find you? Well, they can find us on the inner, you know, on, on our website at innergardens.com. That's I N N uh, inner gardens. Um, and they can call us. Um, and the best thing to do is just come here. We're in Culver city, um, 5838 Perry drive, which is uh, La Cienega in Washington, basically. And it's, yes. it's beautiful garden. Just come and hang out. Great. Uh, we also have a place in Malibu. If you're in Malibu at Zuma, right at PCH in Zuma, we have a beautiful acre and a half garden there. It is actually absolutely stunning. So you can, it's, uh, it's on Bush Drive. You can find us on the website. And are people able to visit the garden during this with all the restrictions right now? Absolutely. We're here. I'm not leaving. I'm Wonderful. Here. <laughs> Great. Stephen, thank you so much. This You're was very welcome. I Mark. really appreciate it. I appreciate the time. Thank Great. you. Thank you, Stephen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Designers at Home. Follow us on Instagram at Mark Weaver and Associates to listen to live or subscribe to this podcast. If you found this podcast valuable and insightful, share it with your friends, comment, and subscribe. We are also on YouTube at Mark Weaver & Associates. Thank you.